going to start at uh, 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 13, verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord, our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come in and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebohamath and to bring the ark of God back to Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger, bur- anger burned against Uzzah and struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the, the Gittite. The ark, of the ark of God remained in the family of Obed-Edom and in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. May God bless the reading of his word. I was reading the book of Chronicles the past couple of weeks. I don't know why. But uh, I was, and uh, I thought uh, we were going to have a sermon about about prayer. Uh, The the chronicler does write about prayer and uh, mentions a number of prayers, and I thought we would think about prayer. It's a a common message I would preach, the end of the year or the beginning of a new one. But as I was reading through Chronicles, this story kind of jumped off the page. It's one of the first stories in the book of Chronicles. And uh, it's, an important, it's an important story for the writer of Chronicles. Uh, First and Second Chronicles is written after Israel's exile. So they have already, they've been destroyed as a nation. All of their kings are dead. They will never have another king. And they've returned to the land. And now... Someone sits down, probably Ezra, sits down and he looks back at all of their history and he writes it down and he fashions it. He picks things out and he selects things from their history to emphasize and he picks some of those topics which he thinks the people need to know about now that they don't have a kingdom and they don't have a king. So those are the things he emphasizes. So he emphasizes the priesthood and he emphasizes the temple. 
And those are two major pieces of theology. He looks back and he takes those from Israel's history and he talks about them going forward. This is about the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, notice there's no story about King Saul. The chronicler doesn't think that's important. He starts with David as the king. He thinks that's important for you to know. As, uh, as the people of Israel, that's important for you to know going forward. David is the king, and uh, God is worshipped in the temple, and uh, the Ark of the Covenant is important. Now, you read in the story, the Ark has been lost. And uh, what happened was the Israelites were fighting against the Philistines, and they were losing. And so they had an idea. Let's bring out the ark, and if we bring out the ark, we will win, because God will fight for us. And so that's what they do. They bring the ark, they bring it out to the battlefield, the Levites are carrying it, the priests are there, the people are excited, and they shout, and they're going to win the battle. And the Philistines hear this, and they're scared. A God has come to the camp. What can we do? And this is what they say. They said the only thing we can do is we can be men and we can fight like men and die like men. And they go out and they fight against the Israelites and the Israelites lose. And the Philistines capture the ark and they take it to their cities and they take it to the one city and they put it in the temple. And you know the story. The idol in the temple falls over. And so the next day they pick the idol up. And uh, the next day the idol falls over again. But this time he's broken. People in the city start to die. So they go, okay, people are dying from the ark of the Lord. Let's move the ark to another city. So they move it to another city. They're very friendly. They move the ark to another city. The other city goes, great, we've got the ark of the Lord. They start to die. They start to get sick. I know what we'll do. We'll move it to another city. (laughs) Finally, they try to move it to a city. And the Philistines go, they're trying to kill us. They're bringing the ark of God into our city to hurt us. We need to send it back to Israel. But just to make sure... What we'll do is we'll put it on a cart and we'll attach to it two female cows that have just given birth to calves and we'll leave the calves behind and we'll see where the ark goes. Because surely the female cows are not going to leave their little children. But sure enough, the ark goes in a straight line They leave those little calves behind and they take the ark back to Israel. The Israelites see it coming. They rejoice. The ark of the covenant of the Lord has come back to us. They celebrate. They have a sacrifice right there. And then some men of the town, they go, hey, let's look in the ark of the covenant. And they go and they open up the ark of the covenant And they all die. So they say, 
Let's give it to somebody else. They give it to somebody else, and that's where our story picks up. The house of Abinadab. And uh, it's been here for 60, 70 years. The entire reign of Saul. There's no Ark of the Covenant in Israel. Because the Ark of the Covenant is lost to the Philistines during the days of Samuel. Samuel's dead. David's the king. He's been the king for a while. And he says, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Now, the first question I have for you is this. I want you to just think about this. Uh, Do you remember the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement. What happens on the Day of Atonement? The priest takes some blood. And where does he go with the blood? He goes into the Holy of Holies. And what does he do with the blood in the Holy of Holies? Sprinkles it on the Ark of the Covenant. Makes atonement for the whole nation. It's an important part of of Israelite worship. That Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the throne room of God. And here you take blood and you sprinkle it before the Ark of the Covenant and your sins are forgiven, and the sins of the entire people of Israel are forgiven for that year. What have they been doing on the Day of Atonement for 70 years? What have they been doing? Where have they been going? What what has been happening on that day? Weird. It seems weird to me that they would let the Ark of the Covenant stay in someone's home for 70 years and not go and get it. That seems weird to me. In fact, uh, critics, this is a major reason why critics don't believe the Bible. They find things like that and they go, see, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that they have the book of Moses. Moses tells you that you have a day of atonement and you have to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant and yet the people on the Day of Atonement don't sprinkle, ark, don't sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Therefore, the Bible's not true. That's their reasoning. Those are the kind of things that they come up with to tell you this is why we don't believe the Bible. And I go, you've got it wrong. The traditional view is right. The problem is not that God tells you what to do and then you don't do it. The problem is that God tells us what to do and we're bad people and we never do it. That's the problem. That's why you find all of these things in the Bible and they never did it. So the Ark of the Covenant's been lost for 70 years. So David says, I want to go get it. Let's get back to worship the way we should. We have not been, we have not been inquiring of the Lord. We, we should be doing that. Let's go get the Ark. So notice what he does. Verses 1 through 4. David conferred with each of his officers. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and if it's the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. 
for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this. It seemed right to all the people. Beautiful. We want to worship God. We want to be excited about God. Let's invite everybody to be involved. So that's what they do. They send out word all over the place. Notice where they go. Verse 5. David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Labohamath to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. Labohamath is up by Damascus. So from the border of Egypt all the way up to Damascus, David invites everybody to come and celebrate this wonderful time. We're going to bring the Ark of God bring it back to, the, to his people, and we're going to use it. Very exciting. Notice verse 6. David and all the Israelites with him went to Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. Just reminding you the importance of this ark. Um, by the way, you remember what's on top of the ark? What's on top of the ark? How many? Two cherubim on top of the ark. They're facing each other. Where, where's God? Okay. Yep, in the center. But is God pictured in the center? No. Can't, you can't picture God. So you can picture angels. You can't picture God. But it's, 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 it's an imitation of the throne room of heaven where you have these cherubim who uh, support the honor of God and the holiness of God. And there is God in the middle of them. That's what the ark represents. Verse 7. So they go and they get the ark. They move the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Only the best for the ark, right? New cart. With Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. Ahio means his brother. So we don't know if it's uh, Uzzah's brother or his name is Ahio. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God. I love that. That's the way to worship. With all your might. You put everything into it. With songs and with harps, lyres and tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. It's loud and it's clangy music. Stringed instruments, trumpets, and cymbals, and cassinets, and and all kinds of things like that. Verse 9. When they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down, because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Um, there have been many times I've uh, helped people move or I've moved things myself. And often if I'm moving something like a mattress, I've thrown it on the top of my car. And I put a rope around it. And then when I drive down the road, I keep my hand up there so I know if it's moving or not. How many of you have done that? And if it's moving towards me, then I can use my hand to kind of keep the, keep the thing there and it's not going to go, not going to fly off of my car. Okay, I've done that probably 50 times. 
just natural. You just put your hand up there. That's how you capture your, your mattress. That's what Uzzah's doing. The, arc, the arc's on the cart. It begins to slide. He puts his hand up. He stops it from falling off the cart. God kills him. I asked you before what was on top of the ark. You told me two cherubim. What is the top of the ark called? Mercy seat. So you've got a box, and on top of the box is a lid. That lid is called a mercy seat. Mercy is when God takes pity on us and doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, it's kind of ironic that he puts his hand on the ark to protect the mercy seat, and he doesn't get mercy. He gets killed. I thought about this a little longer. Um, it tells it tells us a number of times in scriptures how they were supposed to move the ark. This is what was supposed to happen. This is what the Bible says you're supposed to do. Only Levites can carry the ark. And only Kohathites of the tribe of Levi can carry the ark and they cannot touch it. They have rings on the side of the ark and they have to put wooden wooden staves through the rings and they have to carry it by hand. Not only that, they're not even allowed to look at the ark. They can't even see it. They're not even supposed to see there are angels there. Before they look at it, priests are supposed to go into the most holy place. They're supposed to cover the Ark of the Covenant so that when the Levites go in, they don't even see the Ark. They're just picking up some kind of a box. They don't even really know what it is because they never see it. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, here they have the Ark of the Covenant. It's in somebody's house. They're alive. God didn't kill them. They're looking at it all the time. He doesn't kill them. They get mercy. They're going to move the ark, and they pick it up, and they put it on a cart. God doesn't kill them. And as they're wheeling the cart down the road and everybody's looking at it, he doesn't kill them. You know what they get? Mercy. Mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. But there is a limit to God's mercy. There's a limit to God's mercy. You don't always only get mercy from God. Eventually, there's justice. Eventually, he says, no, I've been forgiving. I've been loving. I've been patient. But now, I'm tired of it. It's gone too long. Now, it's not mercy. 
Now it's justice. That's what Uzzah got that day. He should have let it fall. It's sliding on the cart. Oh, well, I'm not allowed to touch it. Now, if I was Uzzah, I would have stopped it too. Automatic reaction. Hand goes out. It should never have come to that. Notice David's reaction. Then David was angry because the Lord was angry. David got mad. This makes me mad. Verse 12. David was afraid of God that day. How can I bring the ark of God to me? I don't want it. That's too scary. Um, I, I hope you see that uh, you should be afraid. You should be afraid of God. You should be afraid of God. You should love Him, and you should try to get close to Him. But you should also be afraid of Him. And sometimes I don't think we're afraid enough. And we live dirty lives and we live sinful lives and we think we can just come up to God and God's going to tolerate that. And he goes, listen, it's okay. I'm going to forgive you. There should be a little bit of fear that should cause us to say, Lord, I need your help. Before I come to you, listen, you please forgive me. I have done wrong things, and I need your forgiveness. Please wash my sins away. Fear will bring you to that. Uh, this past week, I was reading, uh, reading stories on CNN, and some of the fascinating stories were, were stories from uh, African Americans, and they were trying to explain what the first time when they knew they were black and they were mistreated for being black in the United States. And one person told this story, and it resonated with me because it was in Tennessee. And uh, I lived in Tennessee, and uh, this is kind of true to that place. And he was in Nashville, and they were going on a school trip. He was in high school. And he was sitting with all his friends, and uh, he said, I wanted to, we, we were all getting some drinks, and he says, so I had a Coke. And I was drinking my Coke, and I drank half of it, and I set it down. And uh, then I went outside to see what was happening. And uh, I was coming back to sit down, and a girl went over and sat where I was, and she had picked up my Coke. And she was about to drink my Coke. And everyone around said, no, 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 don't drink that Coke. So she set it down. And this young African-American man went back, sat in his place, and picked the Coke back up and drank it. Later in the day, he saw the same girl. She was crying. He went over to talk to her, and he, says, uh, he said, why are you crying? And she didn't want to tell him. He says, he says listen, you can tell me anything. He said, uh, I just want to help you. What, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she said, I'm crying because when I went to drink from your Coke and they said no, it was because every single one of them had come and spit in your Coke. Uh, 
And then they had let him drink it. And he said it was the first time. He said, I thought all of these people were my friends. I went to school with them every day. And we had been friends all this time. And yet when something happened like this, I realized they're not really my friends. And all of the emotions that went through him, he was angry, he was upset, he was scared, and he was brokenhearted. I tell you that story because we have a holy God who watches what we do all of the time. All of the time. And I think if we realized how holy God was, we would not do things like that where no one is watching us because we think, hey, nobody can see. I'll just follow along with the crowd. But God sees what you do. And He's a holy God and He can't tolerate it. Fortunately, there's mercy there. But there comes a place where he goes, this is nonsense, and it's got to stop. Holiness is like gold. The base meaning of holiness means unique. Unique, special, one of a kind, set apart. That's what holiness at its base means. And gold is precious because you don't have much of it, right? If you could go out and pick it off of the tree, nobody wants that (laughs) because they can pick something off of a tree too. If you go pick up a rock outside, big deal, anybody can do that. But gold, you can't just pick that up on the ground. That's unique, it's unusual. It's valuable. Well, God is the most unique of all things. That's what makes him the most valuable thing. That's what holiness means. To be set apart and to be unique. And we have to treat God as if he is that holy, set apart, unique thing that we have to have and we have to love. We have to treat as precious. And I'm afraid we don't often treat God that way. We treat Him like uh, everything else in our life as common. No big deal. (laughs) Not a big deal. Not that important. Not that special. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is He is special. He is unique. He is one of a kind. So I will treat Him that way. So I don't put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart like I'm moving a sofa. I treat it the way it deserves to be treated, and I treat God the way He deserves to be treated. Uh, This year, let's put God first in our lives. Let's treat Him as special. Treat Him as unique. Set apart ourselves to be holy like Him. To be special. Unusual. Because that's what He's like.